about two years ago, I was raped. Are you a man or a mouse? There's a lot of anger. For not being manly enough. There are two ideas about safe spaces. I was alone and I felt numb. My understanding of the world changed. I couldn't bring myself to say it. I was lost. Uh, in a very safe space. All I wanted was to be able to share my experience, what was happening to me with someone. Hey everyone, and welcome once again to Safe Place for Men. All right, this is your male survivor resiliency and leadership and development coach, Thomas Edward. Once again, of course, coming to you from Sacramento. All right, guys. Well, you know, the fires, we're doing a little bit better uh, down here. So the air is a little bit, a little bit better, right? So it's what they call fair or poor. For those of us that are asthmatics, it's still, you know, you can't stay out there too long. I mean, I can feel it. And I mean, even talking to you now, my, my chest is somewhat, you know, con constricted because that's just kind of the stuff that's, that's floating um, around. But hey, we're happy to be alive. <laughs> we're, st we're still here. So we will be grateful for that. All right. I want to give a shout out today. And our shout out is going to be Yeah, so our shout out is, hey, I really want to thank those that are listening and chiming in from the Philippines. Hey, this is awesome. You guys, you know, you just never know. This is the great thing, of course, about the digital age, right? You have the ability to far reach just your community, your area, your part, you know, of the world. And so um, quite a few Listeners there in the in the Philippines that are listening, guys, that's great. That's wonderful. So welcome, welcome to the podcast family. And uh, nope, keep sending those sending in questions, whatever that you have. If there's things that you want me to talk about, so that is great. All right, so actually, we are going to talk about something from a question that was sent in, and I just want you guys to know I'm not overlooking you purposely or anything. Like I said, it's. Whatever subjects that you ask me to talk about, if I know anything about them or have dealt with them in my years of coaching, then I, uh, I talk about them. So some of you guys have asked, okay, so can you just kind of address, you know, male survivors maybe dealing with the abuse and stuff, maybe from a spiritual or religious narrative? Oh, I was like, okay, here. <laughs> this is really, this is a hard one. So I'm going to try and speak it speak of it in, I'm going to say, general, general terms uh, from that perspective, which is still hard, like I said, because everyone has their beliefs, their values, those different type of things. But uh, we'll do the best that we can. Now, if you really want to get into depth, then I just recommend that, hey, you know what, you just sign up and we do some coaching because there's a there's a lot of pieces um, to this. And the guys that I have coached in these areas, they'll tell you that there are a lot of pieces to it but I'll, you know i'll jump in and i'll try and talk about it as much as i can like i said from a general perspective and then what i really want to focus on or just share with you um, i'm going to say from the individuals that i've worked with over the years kind of the different stages that they talk about that they go through when they're working through their healing and it has the, the abuse has a spiritual or religious narrative um, to it. So we'll talk a little bit, a little bit about that. All right. So when we're talking about sexual trauma, and I'm going to say with the 
spiritual or religious narrative. I'm just going to use those words kind of interchangeably. You know, for many people, um, religious and spiritual beliefs, of course, they comprise, I'm going to say, a substantial part of uh, meaning for them, um, their, their systems, you know, how they view the world, how they see the world, how they react to the world, especially when we're talking with the abuse, how they actually cope with things, you know, their worldview of suffering. And the thing is that oftentimes, especially when we're talking about sexual abuse, it can really challenge your core spiritual or religious beliefs and assumptions. Okay. So that whole idea of spirituality, because the way through which you're looking through the world is based upon those beliefs, based upon those values. And what I have actually seen, I'm going to say in my years of coaching that uh, just depending on what those beliefs are, that sometimes that spirituality or religious beliefs can actually be detrimental in the way that they influence, I'm going to say, our recovery. So dealing with um, dealing with the, the traumatic event that takes place. And I've seen it in some cases where um, those beliefs can actually prolong uh, the person working through or they can actually accelerate. So it just depends on how they're using it. You know, but what is interesting, though, but even when we look at research and stuff, what we notice is that um, people have, I'm going to say, a spiritual or uh, religious, just say, beliefs and stuff, often use that as their coping strategies in time of adversities, no matter whether it is. So whether it's the earthquake or the tornado that comes or you know, poverty, that oftentimes those spiritual and religious um, beliefs are used as tools to actually help them cope okay, during times of adversities. And so that's one of the good ways that actually can be used when we're talking about dealing with the sexual trauma. But then yet on the other end, we can go to the total opposite end where, and, I, and like I said, depending on the beliefs and their uh, belief system, but then also it can become or seen as negative. So I've coached guys where for them, because the abuse actually took place within a spiritual or religious um, context, that then they had a negative view for them of God or their, you know, their spiritual leader or their spiritual beliefs. And so that trauma, just depending how it was looked or even used. Now, this is what I mean to say about how it was used. Now, remember that also when we're talking about the sexual abuse, we're talking about the trauma. This is a power move. Okay. Control. Someone controlling. And I've seen guys that I've coached within the um, spiritual or religious realm where what happened is the person who's actually the abuser might be their spiritual advisor or religious advisor. And then they actually use the abuse and then dealing with the abuse in a way, of course, that continues to keep them in power. And so then the person, I'm going to say victim, we're going to use it that way, victim survivor, because of the beliefs, then see this as kind of all oh, divine punishment that happened to me because I wasn't, you know, living my life the way that I was supposed to, you know, whatever 
or like karma. Oh, you know, I did so many whatever bad things in the whatever the past that I deserve to be abused. So in that context where the abuse, I'm going to say, is, is rationalized because of their spiritual or religious beliefs, it can be very detrimental. Okay, so in that case, I consider it to be maladaptive coping. Now, what is interesting, though, oftentimes when I'm working with survivors and they're they're dealing with the sexual trauma within a spiritual or religious narrative, they run into what I call uh, spiritual discontent. Okay, so of course there's anger, there's anger, anger at God. Then I start doubting what does, you know, God exist, doesn't exist. And then I'll talk to some survivors and they, they explain it as well. Then they go into what they call the rebelling stage. It's like, well, if, you know, if, if my God allowed this to happen to me, you know, why should I follow him? And, and then they talk about how often that they're linked with symptoms of depression and anxiety. So that's when I talk about that whole spiritual discontent. A lot of guys talk about it from that perspective. And, you know, it's really difficult. So think about it. So here you are with your beliefs, spiritual, religious beliefs, you know. And so the person, you know, that either is teaching you this or that you're following, uh, kind of got like cognitive dissonance, right? So they're saying one thing but doing something else. And then what's happening to you and what often happens is, is that then you become the criminal. So now this is interesting. And I just, I want to bring this up because I actually know this is a lot when I'm actually coaching um, guys that have the, the spiritual religious narrative. And it is even to use the word, like we said, and this is common anyway, but you know, victim and survivor. So oftentimes what happens when I'm working with someone, especially in a spiritual or religious uh, um, context is that that term victim that you have to help them to to understand that okay when we use that word it's rooted in what we call a, a criminal justice system right and it just it refers to the status of the individual based upon the crime that was committed against them now if you were coaching with me right we would i would introduce to you one of my coaching philosophy is that when we talk about dynamics there we're constantly moving, okay, from stages to stages. So there are times when we are victims, right? Well, because someone did something against us, they hurt us, they mistreat us, they cheated us. That's part of the definition of being a victim. In other words, it happens to everyone, right? But survivor, well, what does survivor mean? It means that we just continue, we're emphasizing that we survived whatever that it was. Okay, it didn't totally, you know, bring us all the way down or we're, we're still here. We survived. And then Thriver. Okay, so Thriver, well, it means in spite of all these things, we're, we're doing well, we're progressing, I mean, right? We're flourishing, you know? So from my perspective is we are constantly moving between those three stages because sometimes things come back, memories, things get triggered, and guess what? guess what you're dealing with? You're dealing with the crime that was committed against you. So what happens? Well, at that point, I become a victim, right? Oh, but then what happens as I continue? Oh, now I survived it, right? And now I've got my coping strategies to help me to move through it. So guess what? I'm a thriver. 
And I have just found that by working through it from that perspective and even helping people to see it from that perspective, it makes it so much easier to navigate the waters. All right. Now, here's the thing. Even when we're talking about we're talking about, you know, sexual trauma, like I said, from a spiritual or religious narrative, you still got the same things. Okay, that are going on, that they're being experienced from individuals who suffer from psychological effects, whatever, of the sexual trauma. Okay, the thing is, maybe you just got more, I'm going to say, of a spiritual or religious undertone that's going on. So, from a psychological perspective, you know, you're still experiencing possibly helplessness, you're afraid, there's shock. You might be feeling like you're powerless, um, feeling like you're, you're overwhelmed, you're, you're disappointed, you're frustrated, um, confused, um, vulnerability, feeling trapped, shame and guilt. Now, I will say that I have noticed uh, when we're talking about the sexual trauma in uh, the spiritual or religious narratives, just depending on what is believed from that perspective, that the shame and guilt for some reason seem to be extra heavy. So I'm going to say for some reason, I'm just saying when working with guys and they are bringing that spiritual or religious narrative, what I have noticed is that oftentimes because of that, I'm going to say the weight that they're carrying is 600 pounds as opposed to 300 pounds. Okay. Not in all cases, but in many of the cases that I see. So there's, there's even more depending on um, what those spiritual beliefs are. And then just like anything you experience, you know, those, those physical manifestations, um, poor sleep, poor appetite, tiredness, um, crying, um, all those, all those different type of things, maybe losing uh, control, uh, intimacy issues, experiencing all those different type of things. But what I noticed from a social perspective that really seems to be, I'm going to say, um, amplified, I'm going to say that the social ramifications really deep is the fear of discovery. And that's because often what I notice within this context, spiritual, more religious narrative, there's this certain picture or portrait that is painted that the survivor is expected to fit into. Okay, let's just say before the abuse. Then the abuse happens. And now their life no longer looks like that picture that they're attempting to portray. It's not perfect any longer. And so what I often notice when I'm dealing with survivors that are like that, fear of discovery is a big thing. And so I often notice um, they are sometimes the ones that take the longest to actually disclose be because of that. And then also, I've noticed that when it's within the spiritual or religious narrative, one of the big fears is the fear of one not being believed, just like, you know, survivors in, in any other realm, but then also the fear of being expelled. 
and that's so I believe or I belong to the spiritual or religious group, and that if I share this information, it means that one, I'm going to have a loss of reputation, and there's a fear of me being expelled. And unfortunately, I've actually seen, I've seen it happen. So I've seen guys that have their their spiritual ministries and things, and once they're being honest and saying, hey, I need help, I need support, because this crime was committed against me. And so because of that, because of the misnomers, the miseducations, um, people jump to certain conclusions. Oh, you were abused. So then that means, that, oh, you know, we can't, we can't have you do this part of where spiritual ministry, because now that means that you're possibly are going to offend and abuse, which is far from the truth. But those are the misbeliefs and misnomers that are out there. <clears throat> and even from this perspective, I, I run into this one. I'm going to say more with um, younger individuals. So like I said, uh, what is cool is we're starting to see uh, an uptick of um, abuse survivors coming earlier, right? So they're not in their uh, 40s and 50s they're starting to address us which early, which is great. I want to applaud you guys for that. Um, yes. Yes. Really, really important because if we can start dealing with it now, as opposed to 30 years from now, just think of the 30 years that you get back. But also, but what I'm noticing, I'm going to say in this um, spiritual or religious narrative is that with younger people, one of the things that they're having difficulties dealing with is like, well, now this is a threat, let's just say, to their vow, let's say, of chastity. So maybe they're part of their spiritual beliefs is that, well, you know, uh, I'm not supposed to have what any sexual contact, whatever, until I get married. Uh, but then the sexual abuse takes place. And what is dropped from, I'm going to say, their consciousness is that, this is a crime that was committed against me. And the focus is once again on that picture that we talked about, that picture being perfect within the spiritual or religious narrative. And now I don't fit into that. Okay. I've noticed that one to be, to be a big one when working within that context. And then of course, from the spiritual perspective, it's like, Okay, so if I have these beliefs, now how do I how do I factor in the point where okay, there's existence of evil, but it's in this place that was that's supposed to be perfect and and holy and no mistakes, those different type of things. What do I do with that? So it's like cognitive dissonance, okay? And so I'm finding these bad things within the organization where there's supposed to be good things. And so then oftentimes Men report that, well, that, you know, that causes me to just kind of give up on religion, to um, to not go, to have no um, spiritual or religious involvement. OK, so or even just just doubting, if you want to say the whole piece. So those are some of the things that I experience um, when I'm talking about coaching and working with sexual trauma from a spiritual or religious narrative. Now, the next thing I want to share with you now, this is just my, like, like I said, my anecdotal uh, experience over the 20 years of dealing with guys that are dealing with the sexual trauma from a spiritual religious 
narrative. And there's just like, a, there's some stages. And so this is kind of what I've noticed. So stage one is kind of like the shock and distress. So that like, oh my goodness, this existence of evil within this place, this church or this organization that's supposed to be holy. And so they have this feeling of being overwhelmed and perplexed. How can this be? You know, how can it be part of this? And then that's where you've got those psychological and physical distress, right, taking place that we talked about a little bit before. Then I notice they kind of swoon into what we call stage two. I'm going to call it self-doubt. And so it's now they're actually doubting their innocence. And I'm going to share with you what I notice most about this is they doubt their innocence when they are in an organization where the person that the crime was committed against actually becomes the criminal. Okay. A lot of self-doubt comes into play. And then this is where, like we said, the feelings of the guilt and shame become the 600 pounds instead of the 300 pounds. What I noticed then, uh, also I'm going to call it stage three. So we've got um, anger and mistrust are taking place there. Uh, oftentimes when guys, when they're talking with me, they'll say that, yeah, you know, like maybe they got married, let's say by clergy, priest, whatever. And they just become so distressed and upset that this person who's, you know, supposed to be delivering or receiving whatever sacrament from is the, is the one who abused them, right? It's not fitting into the picture. And, uh, and then oftentimes they'll even explain about just being just overly angry. Um, and I don't even know if you can say overly angry. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's righteous, if you want to call it indignation. But that my first experience, and we talked about this, that it happened in such a traumatic way. Or like we said, even losing that chastity. Okay. Then what I find for around stage four um, within this realm is I'm going to call it withdrawal. Okay. Withdrawal, but withdrawal, I'm going to say with a little bit of peace, I'm going to say of maybe coping uh, meditation or something. So, you know, crying, um, praying, still trying to hold firm, I'm going to say to their religious vocation, if they haven't been booted out or kicked out. Uh, because it's kind of like, well, I just want to make sure that I'm not rebelling, okay, against, you know, God or this religious belief, and that what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust and accept his will. Now, here's the thing, though, you have to be careful um, about. And I, like I said, I'm not down <laughs> whatever your spiritual or religious beliefs you know, but as the coach, one of the questions I would ask you, well, how well is that serving you? So if one of your beliefs is, is that, well, I'm accepting this will, well, because, well, you know, I shouldn't have been, you know, wearing that or, or doing that. And so because of that, I've got punishment or it could even be a karma perspective. Okay. So we have to be careful even when we're talking um, about that. Stage five, I'm going to say more um, when we talk about disclosure, disclosure, that's not a word, disclosure, secrecy or disclosure. So like we said, the fear of um, not being believed, it's going to, of course, jeopardize. Um, but the thing about the secrecy or disclosure is within this realm, this religious narrative, it becomes more about you defending 
being the one making the accusations. Okay, so like I said, where the one that the crime was committed against actually becomes the criminal. Okay, stage six just depends on where you are. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't often see this. Once in a while, I, I do. Um, and that is receiving comfort and support from community. Okay, so I threw this one in because sometimes when I'm working with guys, I'll say, you know, so what was the what was the result? And they're like, well, actually, for them, when they came forth, the community actually supported and comforted them. And I said, well, what did that look like? Which is really important because, you know, we see all the stuff, of course, in our news today with Falwell and all the the different scandals and things going on that oftentimes the power, the people in power, they're trying to keep their power. Right. And so the person who reports is the one, like we said, who's mistreated becomes the criminal. But there's sometimes you have cases where they are believed and then that community actually forms support around them. And so, you know, they, you know, kick out uh, the perpetrator. They bring them up on uh, charges like criminal, actual legal charges. Okay, And so they're showing that they're actually supporting the the victim, the survivor, the one who the crime has been committed against. And I notice in situations where that happens, where you have that spiritual religious narrative, that's one of the cases where the survivor really progresses and moves forward. And in those cases, you see more uh, people move to what I'm going to call stage seven, and that's just spiritual uh, integration. So transformation. So, you know, this is where you're taking um, what happened to you and then you're turning it into the best that you can. So you're working through it, uh, creating community. I mean, that was one of the things that, you know, I did. It's like, okay, so how can I be a resource Right. How can I use my experience, of course, to help others? So you're transforming that abuse into a better narrative. And for them, it might be a spiritual narrative. And of course, stage eight, just like it is with anyone else, is post-traumatic growth. Okay, and so post-traumatic growth can look like different things. In the area of spiritual or religious narratives, sometimes for the survivor, it looks like, okay, finally offering forgiveness. Now, if you were working with me, I'm just going to say one thing. One thing that I do advise when I'm working with is that this is a process. And so if if that's your goal to maybe get to that point, let's just say forgiveness, I believe you need to really take your time to work through and process different things. And I said, I say that because I've seen people who just off the cuff, right, don't work through the issue and just like, well, okay, I just forgive the person. And then so many years later, we've got all this anger and resentment and stuff and spiraling down because they didn't give themselves time. I'm going to say to be righteously upset, angry, whatever indignation, whatever you would like to call it. I'm going to call it just anger, right? There is a just anger. And so I believe that's, that's part of the process. And then, you know what, post-traumatic growth, just continue to move forward and to help individuals. Okay. Woo, man, that is a lot. And that doesn't even touch the surface, right? But 
Um, you guys asked me to talk a little bit about that. And so I tried to give it the best that I, that I could. And like I said, it's really difficult unless we're actually, you know, just working on stuff. And so then I have more of an idea where you're coming from when we talk about, well, okay, so what is your spiritual or religious narrative? How does it, how does it fit? How do we integrate it? But that's one of the things I love about being a coach because we get a chance, we get an opportunity to do that. Now, here's another thing. If you are listening, um, I've been fortunate over the years with the work that I do, just be introduced to people all over the place that are doing different things. And so I have a, a, a friend, Boz, and Boz actually, he's a lawyer, but then also he works with a, a group called Grace. And uh, what they do, I think the acronym is um, Godly Response uh, to Abuse in a Christian Environment. And so actually what they do is they go around to um, different faith venues and share with them one prevention, right? But then also it's like if you're dealing with this, how do we, you know, approach this from a legal perspective? If we have someone that's doing something, we need to report them, whatever they need to go to jail. What are the processes that we need to do? Which is really important because we need to hold people accountable. And so you can actually find him on, on the website, their organization. If you just type in grace and then just put sexual abuse, it'll, it'll come up with their website and you'll have that information. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Oh, I forgot to tell you too. Um, so let me see, what was it? I think it was 2012. This was after the whole Sandusky stuff happened over. I think it was in Pennsylvania. And I remember there was a group there. They were actually a, a religious group. And so they asked me because the scandal was rocking the area. I mean, people were just, yeah. So they asked me to, to come out like and do some workshops and stuff. And so as a result of that, I did um, a specific book for them, um, and it was called Scared Boys, Terrified Men, Overcoming, and it was for male survivors dealing with the aftermath of sexual abuse in their faith communities. So it was specifically, you know, for uh, people that were dealing with it, but looking at it more from a uh, faith perspective. So I had a lot of the stuff that I just talked with you about that we normally go through, but it just had... Um, I'm going to say a twinge or different outlook on it because the audience was was different, but still have some of those books left. So if you want one, just feel free to to send me some information. You know, we'll, we'll figure out whatever shipping charges, those different type of things. Send you one. It's a workbook. So you actually work through it. I'm a workbook person, guys. I mean, I just like uh, I like to be able to to work through stuff. So like if I'm going to read something, <laughs> it's like when I get to the end of the the paragraph or chapter is like, okay, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to work? What is it that I, that I learned? Uh, so I kind of write my books like that too, when I write them. All right, guys, thank you so much for the opportunity one to just share with you, to talk with you, you know, go up to the website, safeplaceformen.com. Got quite a few things up there. Like I said, you can um, enter to win a drawing for coaching, uh, session. If you never had a coaching session and you're like, you know, I just want to see what this is like. Hey, enter the drawing because you might might win and you'll have an opportunity to do that. There are other resources and things that are on the website there also. So read it, learn a little bit more about me. And then, hey, if you decide you want to do some 
some coaching, feel free. All right. So I guess this is what I want to say, as I always say. One, just remember that you are not alone. That's one of the reasons that Safe Place for Men exists. Uh, I just remember when I was working through a lot of, of the issues years ago, and there were just no resources. And uh, there was, um, I can't remember. Oh, it was in um, Roman society. Uh, in Roman society, there was kind of this rule. And it was that if you had overcome some type of disease or some type of whatever it was, that it was your responsibility to share with other people what you did to work through it, to overcome, to overcome it, right? And so it was like, I just told myself, I was like, well, you know what, I need to be a resource. Because when I was out there, there weren't no resources. And so it's kind of like the hard knock school, I guess you could say. I had to hit my head up against a lot of stuff. But now the whole point is that I need to be a resource so other people don't have to hit their head against the stone. And so that's one of the reasons that Safe Place for Men exists. And we just continue to do what we can you know, trying to work with other groups and individuals to get the word out there and to let men know that, hey, there is a place of safety. All right, guys, I'm looking forward to working with you. Looking forward to our next podcast. Continue to send in those emails, the stuff you want me to talk about, and I'll do my best. All right, guys, until then, be safe. <laughs>